0: Hi guys, this is Joe Whitcomb with another episode of Love's X Factor and where we are going to be solving for X between the sexes. I'm the author of Reboot Your Relationship and you probably have heard my other podcasts on Reboot Your Relationship as well as uh, the part of our program on Rebuilding Connections where we focus on the trauma in relationships and how we go about resolving and finding ways to build our connections in a safe way and I've been uh, doing this for about 20 years and I want to just say straight up here that my approach here is not to give you a bunch of frill and filler stuff and uh, advertise or anything like that we're gonna be shooting straight kind of think of me like a velvet sledgehammer we're gonna be coming at it with love and logic grace and truth uh, in an effort to see the innocence and not the guilt in one another because there's so much of this stuff that's going on in the world today, right? So if you go back to my other podcasts, um, we are discussing some of the most important aspects of life. And one of my famous quotes that I use all the time is, if we are going to heal the war in the world, we have to heal the war between the sexes. And if we're going to heal the war between the sexes, we have to heal the war within ourselves. And today's episode, we're going to be focusing on the brain. And (laughs) it's not rocket surgery, but it is is brain science. And we are going to be talking about that. Um, My past history, I've done a lot of the exploration of neuroscience of relationship, and as well as uh, attachment-based, emotionally focused work. And I've developed my own programs, Um, based on trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy and developing methods for that. So again, this is just information for all of you. Um, And to give you some perspective and to be able to look at and understand relationships. And to understand relationships, we must also understand the brain and how the brain is activated in all this stuff. And because for a lot of us, uh, we, p- in the past, uh, with most psychotherapy, it only fixated and focused on fixing the individual problems, uh, mental disorders, other things. There's actually, if you look at the DSM-5, there's actually a book where they have this out there where they they've identified 265 mental dis- uh, mental disorders, and uh, there's about 154 psychotherapy models out there trying to solve for X. In your relationship, trying to solve love's X factor, and you'll hear my bias in throughout all of these. And the reason I take a stand for this is because I truly believe that we are broken in the relationship and healed in the context of relationship. It's the vehicle. It is the crucible. And what I mean by that is um, we are born into relationship for this sense of love, connection, belonging. That's where we were wired. We we're wired for Love. We're wired for connection. We're wired for all these things, and then we, as you know, as children, children learn what they live, and they live what they learn. So we we learn relationship through relationship, and in our family of origin, especially. And we talk about this if you go back to some of my other podcasts. We go into solving for X in the X factor of love. And we talk about how we are also wounded and broken in relationships and that the, whether it's uh, betrayals or abuse, trauma, where we may have had um, abandonment or a withholding of love, manipulation. Maybe you grew up with a parent with a mental disorder or depression, uh, anxiety, alcoholism, addiction. All of these things have imprints or impacts on us And so, we're handed this very difficult calculus problem called life and love. And in that, we are trying to solve for X. So, if you're a five-year-old and you're handed this very difficult calculus problem, you're trying to solve for X, guess what? You don't have the fifth-grade level skills or fractions or decimals or integers, and you're still trying to solve for this very complex problem. So, you learn to survive with those skills. And you learn certain coping mechanisms, ways of being, ways of relating to stay safe. And you can go back to my other podcast where we talk a lot about this. And it shapes our character, it shapes our personalities, our attachment styles. And all these things are rooted back into trauma. And I firmly believe that most of the things that we experience are from these violations of human connection. And so because we are... Um, wounded there in that context of relationship, I believe, strong belief is that we are, can only be healed in and through the context of relationship because that's the thing we need, uh, the, the relationships that we need, but it's also the thing that we've learned to fear and create all sorts of barriers. So go back to my other podcast and the barriers to love and, and some of these, um, when we have trauma, all these uh, sophisticated patterns that we've developed and how our brain affects that and how our limbic system gets involved with that. And there are recent brain discoveries here. And the, because here's the thing that's really hopeful for all of us is the brain is neuroplastistic. That was my early studies in neuroscience is that you can change your brain by practicing new behaviors and new, but it's not just creating a new behavior it's also a shift in our perception and how we view ourselves, our partner, the world, and how those things uh, come to be. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk a lot about that. And again, my approach here was, is with a lot of love and logic, grace and truth, seeing each person's innocence and not the guilt and trying to find and, re- and solve for X, in love, the the love's X factor, because they believe that truly love does heal. Uh, But there's also got to be logic. There's other ingredients here that need to be in there to talk about this stuff. So these recent brain discoveries are going to help us understand that the more we know, because a lot of it is we don't know what we don't know. And that takes humility to explore these deeper waters and to explore what's really going on within and between. So the within part is my stuff and the between part is that space between. The space between is that third person. We have three people that are broken, me, you, and that space between. And that's what keeps, and we keep looking at the other person and we're not looking at ourselves. We're not looking at what's occurring in that space between. And that's where we gotta start looking at. We're also gonna talk today a, bit, a little bit about the, the lower brain which is the, the reactive survival instinct. We'll call it like the crocodile. It's the primitive part. And then the higher brain, which are, organizes and generates new ideas. Um, that one can be kind of the higher self there. That's, but the, the prime directive here in the brain and the question that we're always asking Number one, and you'll hear throughout all my podcasts here in Love's X Factor, is the question: Is are you there for me? Can I count on you? Do you have my back? Do I matter? Am I important? Are you accessible? Are you going to uh, be able to be responsive and engage emotionally, and all those things? Because we're asking that question. If it's a yes, is it safe, or is it dangerous? Is it safe or is it dangerous? Is this environment safe or is it dangerous? Danger, 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 danger. And if it's yes, if we get a yes that's safe and we have that sense certainty of love, connection, belonging, guess what? We're good. But if, it, if your relationship is creating a lot of uncertainty, mystery, confusion, then it's gonna be, uh, we're gonna perceive that as being dangerous. And we're going to talk about some of that. And please go back to my other podcasts that identify and talk about this stuff that goes on, because we're going to be looking at the brain today specifically. And we have, let's say the left brain, which is the logical part, right? And the right brain is the feeling center. So we'll say the right brain is, you know, we'll say that's love, right? And the left brain is the logic. So that's why I come and I work with every couple from both the love and logic approach because it's not (laughs) it's not just about love we also have to fold in information we also have to uh, understand that there are many moving parts and there's multiple dimensions co-occurring simultaneously and not one dimension can define the conflict or the solve for x if we're only, and that's what gets us kind of stuck in these rigid patterns, so that we can begin to have a safe conversation that balances the brain, and that we're able to have those love and logic talks of listening, understanding, and validating uh, each one's perspective and experiences. And so, we're going to take a dive into that today. This is uh, again another part. This is part three. If you go back to uh, raging against the dying of the light, and I do a lot of work here with, um, again, with trauma, PTSD, aversive childhood experiences, and how that impacts our adult functioning uh, relationships. So if we are having that uh, adult functioning uh, relationship, then things are going well. But if it's not going well, we have to begin to look at what else is going on here. Something's happening. What else is going on between us, so that we can begin to solve for x? All right. So this is going to be a straight shot. It's going to be a straight shot. I hope you guys are ready for this because, again, I uh, part of my work in trauma. I, I've, I'm a military veteran myself of 12 years. Um, I served in the Philippines first Gulf, so I have my experience with trauma and my own healing so i'm not just talking out of a book i'm talking from my own personal experiences and the research i've done for the last uh 20 plus years and the work with thousands of couples and relationships working with the military marines air force army navy uh, all these guys coming back from war uh, as well as people with uh severe uh, trauma from their past, uh, these aversive childhood experiences. Um, and all these violations of human connection have an impact on us. And so uh, I will be shooting straight. I, uh, it will be, again, the velvet sledgehammer approach and love and logic. And that's the what I hope everyone can take away from here is I'm not going to necessarily sugarcoat this or it be some passive uh, person, this is going to be shooting straight to the heart um, and getting to the heart of the matter. So, the one thing um, I have been very successful at is being able to decode coded messages. Um, what do I mean by that? A lot of us speak in code. Um, my my mom used to be really good at speaking at code, and I had to learn to decode the coded message. Right. So she would speak up into the air and say, hey, it should be nice if someone would take in the groceries or the garbage. And my response would be, well, uh, she's not talking to me. <laughs> so we get into these types of uh, ways of communicating that are rather passive and global. And we want to move it from the global out there somewhere down and bring it down to something very specific for each one of us so that we can begin to... Work through some of these upper limit barriers. So, <clears throat> please excuse me. I've had a cold for the last month since the beginning of December. Um, so we're going to look at this. So if you want to better be better at decoding this mystery and decoding the coded mes- uh, messages in the mystery of your relationship, learning about the brain here is going to be super important. So. A lot of you are already familiar with Sigmund Freud, who was a doctor who began to diagnose people. And there's this book these days, and it's called the DSM-5. And if you've ever been to a therapist, you've probably seen it. It looks like a big, thick Bible. And did you know that there are 265 ways that you can be messed up? Oh my gosh. Plus there's another 154 different kinds of psychotherapy, as we talked about in the beginning. And then did you know that how to attack the 264 ways you can be messed up and diagnose them? Recently someone said the mental health field focuses on problems, right? It's just focusing on the problem. And it seems like if you want good mental health, we should be focusing on what makes people healthy, what makes them whole, not what makes them broken. So I don't like labels. I'm not one to use labels like narcissist, psychopath, borderline personality, attention deficit, okay? Now I know those are okay frameworks, but again, it devalues the human condition and the humanity. And, um, you know, it's kind of like bad religion, you know, using a DSM to make judgments. And I've... <laughs> I've dated those people out there. I've been in relationships and I've talked to people all the time and it it just boggles my mind how we take humanity and distill it down into a DSM. And I believe that the root of most all of our, um, our human condition is rooted in some form of trauma, a violation of human connection. And that trauma is out there somewhere that got imprinted and impacting on you. And so what do we do? We take people and drag them into therapy, re-victimizing them, re, uh, you know, re-victimizing them, getting them to be the, uh, the, re-traumatizing them, doing all these things. I see it all the time. I see this in my practice all the time where somebody gets who has been dragged in since they were a child and put a label of borderline personality. They have disorders, all these things. and you circuit back to you circle back to the origin when this began, and there's typically a trauma, and an attachment injury, a wounding. And this child had to learn to survive. And now they are now the problem. And they are the and the only solution, solution to the problem. And so they get all these labels and nobody's looking at what occurred in that trauma. I'm gonna tell some stories later on of some of the people I've worked with, keeping everything confidential, of course, um, because we gotta understand how these impact us because my core belief is, now I'm not saying that there isn't um, other things that do occur to people um, that again, going back to the nature versus nurture. My belief is that most people are born healthy, whole, and then there's trauma. And then it's the environment that impacts the, the rest of the story that we need to go back. and Because in PTS, I'm going to call it PTSR, post-traumatic stress reordering, which when you have trauma, it reorders the brain, the nervous system. It reorders your hormones and it restructures the brain. And it actually literally changes the DNA in your body and the body keeps score. And if you're going to be Getting a diagnosis, let's say, of bipolar or borderline personality, and you look at all the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder—the hypervigilance, the disassociation, the acting out, the re, all this stuff that goes on with the symptoms of trauma, the night, the flashbacks, the nightmares—and you don't have to have a memory flashback. You can have a somatic flashback, a somatic experience, like a flashback where your body is now keeping score. And that's something to think about. So what I mean by somatic, let's say you've been in a car accident, right? So you've been in a car accident and you're driving down the road and you have a reflex, a reaction to a car kind of pulling out in front of you, right? Now the brain's not thinking, oh, danger, 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 your body is primed and ready to, you know, respond and react from a uh, fight, flight, freeze response, right? So if you're walking through woods, and a forest, and you see a bear, your body, your brain is going to go into that fight, flight, freeze, right? You're gonna fight the bear, run away from the bear, or play dead, right? Now you got your heart pumping. It's pumping hard, right? And that's adaptive. And that's what your nervous system should do when you're in the woods and there's a bear. You hear me talk about this all the time because that we understand that. But let's say that you're in your house or your home and the bear lives with you and there's no escape. And what gets experienced is that powerlessness and helplessness and uh, there's nothing I can do, nothing I can say to change this situation. So you've learned these strategies to stay safe. So going back to this thing that, because this is so true, just when we begin to, when we begin to see the innocence and not the guilt within ourselves, just as you, we give, give each other appreciation and, a, and acceptance and talk about looking at people with the eyes of gratitude. Because here we're going to talk about the miracle of, in this work that you will be doing here with me as you listen to the podcast will be the miracle in our shift of perception and how we're viewing ourselves in each other and the world instead of this black and white, all or nothing, all good, all bad, to move away from the black and white world into technicolor, to see and appreciate all of life. So here we look back at some of the breakthrough stuff in the 1990s. There were some breakthroughs in neuroscience. And that's the part that I got involved with in the 90s. And that's what's really transforming the field of therapy. Freud had said, anatomy is destiny. So the body that you're born with, that you're stuck with. But here's the thing. Neuroscience discovered neuroplasticity. And I did research on neuroplasticity and memory and how learning works <clears throat> through my, um, and how we learn how to learn and what we learn. And what that means is the brain is plastic, malleable. You can actually change your neural pathways by the thoughts you run through your brain and the actions and, and doing that stuff. But But that's why, <clears throat> and that's why it takes what I call love and relationship is a path and a practice, practice, practice. It's a practice. It is a, if, so if you focus on certain things, your neural pathways begin to get fortified and you begin to release new chemicals throughout your body and it's very empowering. So kind of think of your brain is like, has all these uh, you know, grooves in it, right? That's the memory part, right? and certain areas you get a rut, right? So you have your rut and your grooves. So practicing helps you create new grooves in the brain and the brain is shaped by these experiences of people around it. Okay, everybody's impacting one another. Okay, we're in this double bind affect emotional contagion where we're always absorbing and taking on all this stuff, whatever you want to call it. It's energy or Okay, so imagine, I'm gonna give you when you're decoding, coding and decoding certain messages. So you're walking through the grass, you look down, you see a brown squiggly thing. Now your brain codes and decodes brown squiggly thing. You go pick it up and it's a stick, it's safe. You use it for all sorts of stuff, hiking, keeping yourself safe, whatever. But let's say that you walk into the forest, you see brown squiggly thing, right? You go pick it up and it's a snake and it bites you. Now what gets coded, decoded? Now a rut rather than a groove here, and a default in the, when you get triggered into the amygdala, and the amygdala or that limbic system that we'll call the emotional brain, hijacks the prefrontal cortex now in the thinking brain because that Takes only think about it goes into the hippocampus, the memory part of your brain, and it only takes 12 milliseconds to go from that that storage cabinet in your brain to the uh, il- the limbic system and the the red hot button in the middle, that amygdala, to hijack, and then because it only takes 12 milliseconds, where it takes 24 milliseconds to go from the hippocampus to the prefrontal cortex. Okay, well, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal because that's almost the time if you were to break it down into, let's say a half marathon and a full marathon, there's a big difference in emotions and in our ability to respond and react, that is super important because those are life and death choices that we have to make in that moment. And then the body keeps score and you get into that whole part. So this is important because now when you see brown squiggly thing, let's say on your, on your partner, where they look upset or they look mad, and when our mirror neurons in the brain are now looking and scanning the nervous systems of everybody around you going, danger, you see that trigger, you see that in their face, and you get triggered, and then there's a response, a reaction, so something happens, right? There's a trigger, you have a story about that, your brain is coding, decoding, coming up with a story, a narrative, something. Go back to my other podcast on reality testing to kind of explain more of this in greater detail. And then you are interpreting and translating brown squiggly thing as either a something safe or dangerous. And if it's danger, 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 right? And then you're adding and subtracting meaning very quickly. This is happening in milliseconds, seconds, you don't have time to think, go to your prefrontal cortex and, and stop and think and observe the process and go, what's going on here? You get triggered and now we're looking for evidence of everything that's going on to define and to solve for X. You're solving for X, but through this lens of fear. The fight, flight, freeze so solving for love's x factor in that moment there's that trigger so the x is and this is what happens for most of us we get into these dynamics and we keep repeating keep re-looping and looping around this mountain and we keep seeing the same thing over and over and over again being acted out and reacted and reenacted in our intimate relationships and wondering what why can't we get beyond X here? Why can't we get beyond this part? And then we have to, and I've had to do this myself. Oh my goodness, it's just like, okay. So we get to X, okay. And then we start asking, what am I supposed to be learning here, right? What's my, and, I, and that's an important question to ask. What am I, I keep repeating and relooping around this. What do we need to do here? And we go read all sorts of books, we go to all sorts of courses, we go to all sorts of seminars, we listen to all sorts of podcasts, and we never get beyond this X because we keep trying to learn something that's out there when it's actually something in here, within. The storms are brewing within. And so the next question that we have to humbly begin to ask is, what am I not willing to learn here? And that's going to expand and open up the next part here to this part of the brain is understanding that we're in this really thrilling field right now and that you have a opportunity to break through these upper limit barriers to solve love's X factor and to work with me and to do that in all sorts of contexts. But it's going to mean getting into the real depth here of what's going on. So, so I'm going to give you a little summary here of one way to think about the brain. And we're going to divide it into two parts here. There's the upper level part that I've been talking about, which is the prefrontal cortex. We'll call that the, you know, the thinking brain. And there's a lower part of your brain, which uh, I call like the, it's like the reptilian brain or like the crocodile brain. Now, this reptilian brain is like such an important part of your brain. It, it's your reptilian instincts, let's say, your animal instincts. It's that primal part. Its job is to keep you alive, to survive. It's what we might call reactive. It's that red hot button when it gets triggered. For example, if you walk in your kitchen, your stove is off and you put your hand on the stove and then actually someone left it on, right? And it's hot. Well, in that moment, do you consider your four options? I mean, do you stop and kind of go, what do you do next? Do you analyze the situation? Do you kind of process it? Do you spend a lot of time going, should I take my hand off the stove now? No, you don't even think about it. You remove your hand. You take your hand away, right? It's an instinct. And your reptilian brain really wants you, wants to be your friend. It's there to keep you safe. It wants to protect you from anything that might hurt you. It's good. It's adaptive. Because if that bear is in the woods and it's, you know, and you're not responding, you're just standing there where the bear is mauling you, then you're not, there's <laughs> something disconnected, right? So the lower brain is that seat of fear and anger and it's all about taking care of you. And anger isn't always, there's primary anger and secondary anger. And a lot of times when we think of anger, we're, we're actually talking about the secondary anger and not the primary, which is to set boundaries, set limits. For instance, when you are being controlled or there's a loss of freedom and you're being controlled and subjugated, held down, that anger is a boundary to protect ourselves because boundaries, again, I repeat this all the time, is the boundaries there to protect yourself from the world. okay, And also to protect the world from you, right? A lot of us are really good at protecting the, ourselves from the world, but maybe not so good at having the internal boundaries to say no to ourselves sometimes to protect ourselves from the world or the world from us, right? That's a different thing altogether. And a lot of people I know, me too, we love to set the boundary. You know, I love myself so much, I can't tolerate, right? But we're not doing the other part, which is the internal boundary of our own being able to hear other people's no. We're good at saying no, but we aren't so great at hearing no (laughs) or hearing a boundary because that may trigger something else inside of you which we'll get into later which might be a triggering fear of feeling abandoned or rejected in some ways or not being seen or heard or validated or feeling misportrayed or falsely accused and so we get triggered and we might respond with a uh, the signature move of Darvo, right? Which go back to that: it was deny, attack, reversed victim, and then become the offender. All that stuff begins to get triggered into the the uh, the lower brain here. So here's what we want to look at. So when we look at, let's say, a crocodile, and you're out there, and these are actually, you know gentle creatures if you leave them alone, right? If you leave them alone, they're happy sunbathing, they're fine, you don't wanna make any trouble. If one's on the bank though, and if, and after a while, it might slowly you know, waddle into the swamp and float. But if you were to rile that crocodile, or if the crocodile is hungry and sees a rabbit here, suddenly the crocodile will snap. It will snap and they get ferocious very quickly. it's that? And you had no idea it was coming. It's just this reflex. And it isn't pretty when that happens. So the takeaway of this story is that bringing up problems with your partner right before bed (laughs) and you press your partner's buttons, you're suddenly living, you know, like this crocodile and you begin to act out and something happens. You get triggered your brain goes into that fight, and your nervous system goes into that fight, flight, freeze, your, your jaw clenches, your heart starts pumping, you, your arms get tight, your body, and that, adaptive, that wounded adaptive child goes into that black and white, all or nothing, all good, all bad, rigid, tight, inflexible, your adrenaline's going up, the cortisol's going up, everything is going up, and then you're lashing out, and all this stuff is occurring, and you're tight in the body, Oh, right. That's the, that's the, uh, where you, your partner can become inflamed. You become inflamed, right? So if you come across as dangerous, your partner's lower brain will flip the lid and then you're going to be miserable. You're going to be just miserable. So all that's occurring when we get triggered. Now, the wise brain is the part where we're trying to take care of you too, right? That's the prefrontal cortex, trying to protect ourselves, self-preservation. So the wise brain here likes things to be organized. Uh, they, want, they want certainty, comfort, safety. Cert- uh, this, anything that is creates any uncertainty or unpredictability is going to dysregulate it And again, it kind of goes back to this thing I talked about in a prior um, episode, right? So when it's functional, when you have adult functioning in the brain and you're able to decode and decode certain things that are occurring in that sphere out there somewhere, right? You can approach things more nuanced, meaning, okay, the tiger or the bear comes in the room, the tiger comes in the room, you can fight it or flee or if it's your tender baby and you give it comfort or if it's your lover you're compassionate and you're listening and you're you know you're able to hold space you're flexible nuanced you're um, able to uh, be yielding humble relaxed in the body when you're in your wise brain when you're in your uh, when you're regulated and you're understanding what's happening and you're stopping. You're suspending judgment. You're observing. You're thinking about it. You're processing it. You're able to slow that down. Emotions are go fast. So that's the thing about your your capacity is to really stay connected in those relationships. So a lot of times, like with men, you know, when when a, when your partner may be freaking out, you are not so necessarily afraid of your partner's reaction, it's our reaction to their reaction that we get triggered into. And it becomes like this vortex, right? You're now into that lower. So the wise brain generates new ideas and the wise brain can create these win-wins when we're in the moment. If you're in the lower brain, it's either my way or the highway. And you've been in those relationships too, where it's win-lose, right? My way or the highway. You know, I'm right, you're wrong. you know, or uh, top dog, bottom dog, domination, avoiding domination, and we're all just disavowing any kind of personal responsibility in that moment. But you get in that win-lose, right-wrong, one up, one down, and then the upper brain then shuts down. But we want to be in the upper brain here where we can strategize things and make it so both issues can get addressed, okay? So that we're seeing and I talk about this a lot, <laughs> I, I tell people it's kinda, people think I'm delusional when I say this, but there's six people in your relationship, right? There's, there's let's say there's you and how you view yourself, your stories, your, you know, your hurts, your habits, your hangups, your projections, your, your dreams, your wants, your love maps, all those things that are within you. And then there's your view of me Right? Am I safe or unsafe? Do I give you certainty or uncertainty? You know, is there, am I predictable or unpredictable? Um, And then there's me and how I view you, right? And then there's me, how I view myself. And then there's the reality, the truth of who we are without all those distortions, projections, fears, hurts, habits, hangups, theories of motivation, ideas, all the stuff that's getting bombarded onto our partner in that snapshot moment, turning them into this villain. And if you go back to the uh, drama triangle, where I talk about the two up, one up positions, the rescuer, and the, the, the perpetrator, and the one down into the victim, you, you're, you're below the line now because you're functioning out of that, that lower brain rather than the higher brain, right? That's gonna be being present rather than getting to when you're unconscious and you're below the, the, the line and you're stuck in that vicious cycle there. So here, the prime directive of the whole brain is simply to survive. And it's ever asking, is it safe or is it dangerous? When you all sat down this morning and you have this scanner in your brain and you're scanning the room the circuitry, your partner walks in you're observing their nervous system, their face you're coding, decoding, are they in a good mood bad mood, if they're okay I'm okay, if they're not okay, I'm not okay danger, 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 they're safe or dangerous right, so is it safe or dangerous, so when you sat down for coffee and breakfast your brain is okay, something's happening you have a story here Is it safe to be in this room right now? So then the scanner that you have is also scanning your partner at every minute, every second, every nuance. And everything's getting hijacked and your partner has a scanner too that's seeing if you're safe and dangerous at any minute, every second. It's exhausting. Obviously when it is dangerous, we flee or we fight. And when it's safe, we can relax. But making these distinctions are really important to make in relationships. Distinctions. So let me talk a little bit about the brain, the wiring, and the, this. we're trying to make distinctions here in relationships, right? Um, having a narrative. How do we begin to change this pattern within and between us? The space between, right? Because that space between is what we're striving to get to that's safe, the safe, the safe haven. Because when we feel safe, secure, we can go out in the world, we can fall down, we can get hurt because we trust and we know that our partner's there, it has our back. It's safe, right? That's such an important thing. However, so the distinction. So let's say, <clears throat> let's use baseball as an analogy Let's say that you're up to bat. Let's say there's a pitcher on the mound. And let's say that you've never, ever, ever, ever played baseball before, stood at a base, ever, right? So when you're sit, you're standing on the base and the pitcher throws a ball at you, you have no distinction or idea what he's throwing at you. Whether it's a fastball, curveball, knuckleball, uh, slow ball, inside, outside, uh, high, low, foul ball. You have no idea, There's, you have no distinction. You just see this blur coming at you, right? And he throws the ball at you a few times and, uh, and one time as he throws it, you're not making the distinction, it comes at you and it hits you inadvertently. But it stings and you now, something happens, you've got some trauma and you're looking at that and you're going, oh my God, I'm never gonna gonna play baseball ever again. And then you go sit back in the dugout. And remember I said, love is a path and a practice. And it's practice, practice, practice. So are you learning any new distinctions? Are you creating any new emotional experiences? Are you learning anything new by sitting in a dugout, being not being in the court or being uh, in the stands, not on the court or in the arena? No, you're not learning a thing. So let me ask you this: So if you were to stand and start practicing, you know, hitting the balls, let's say after a thousand pitches, do you think you'll have more distinctions about what's coming at you? Absolutely. You're gonna to learn to make that distinction. You're gonna, it'll slow things down. You can, you can see, cause you're scanning the picture, the pitcher. You're not just looking for the ball. You're actually able to scan the picture, see what kind of ball he's gonna be throwing at you by his position, the way he's holding the ball. And he throws a ball and you start to create a connection to the ball, right? Now you're connecting. You're practicing, you're connecting. Now you hit the ball. You may not hit it out of out of the park, but you hit it. Oh, I hit it. How'd I do that? I want to do that again. And so after ten thousand pitches, do you think you're gonna have more distinctions whether you're getting a fastball, slow ball? Right? Because you're constantly scanning, looking for evidence and trying to solve for X. Trying to solve Love's X factor and solving the X between the sexes means you have to practice, practice, practice. You can't circumvent it. As long as this person's safe, in a way I'm not talking, uh, obviously if there's truly abuse, addiction, adultery, cheating, and other things that are happening. But if it's, you know, personality quirks, personality differences, lifestyle differences, value differences, those are things we all have to work through, all of us. But this is a practice. So imagine now, um, now even the best, you know, baseball players out there are only hitting three out of 10 balls, which is 300, right? That's pretty good, right? That's actually pretty good if you're hitting three out of 10. A lot of you in relationships thinks you got to be hitting, you know, perfection 10 out of 10. Doesn't work that way. But you can, over time and experience, create corrective emotional experiences to work through some of all this stuff. So, the last thing I wanna talk about the brain here is that, and as we look at this, we begin to make these very clear distinctions, right? Of what am I seeing? What am I observing? What's going on here? To stop it, slow down, process. Slower is faster, faster is not faster slower is faster. There's this left brain thinking side. That's like a computer in the right brain, feeling side, the intuitive side. Okay. This is the love and logic. Love is the intuitive side, the feeling side. And sometimes some of us are better, better at, at the love side, and not so much so on the logic side. And some of you are very logical and, and not so good at the love side. So, where you're logical, we need to learn to. So, you both have a different curriculum, let's say, right? You're, if you're a logical person, your curriculum is to learn to be more loving, more vulnerable, more open, more flexible. That's your curriculum. If you're more on the love side, we have to add the logic. And the logic... So you both have a very distinct curriculum. If you're the pursuer or the withdrawer, you have a different curriculum. These are two binary positions in your relationship. The binary position is the logical one or the avoidant one or the island or whatever over here in this fixed way of being. And you have the love one over here, the one that's more uh, leaning in, more uh, the wave... More so, the uh, pursuer, initiator in relationships. So, you have these two binary positions. Okay, making that distinction, you both have a very different curriculum here because your brain is approaching a relationship very differently than your partners. And most men are on the logical side, 85%, and most men are 85% also avoiders, right? Where women are typically. Um, you know, the pursuer and more the love and emotional side of things. The left, the right brain versus the left brain. Not wrong, okay? It's like pink and blue, right? Blue and pink. Not wrong, just different. But we got to get to the third pole here, which is the technicolor and purple. Blending those two together so we can get to that middle part to blend the purple. So if you see in the love's x-factor, the x is purple, and you have the pink and the blue, the blue and the pink, to merge those two together. So I want, you know, so some of you are really good at the computing, right? Now the right brain is, again, more emotional and intuitive. So both have got to find this third pole, find the purple, find this, uh, the third pole, which is to lean in, to do nothing to erode the other person's need for love and to develop that part of you and the other person needs to develop their other part, the logical side, to look at it through different lenses otherwise you get into this again imagine you're stepping up to the plate right? and you have these binoculars on and this is a cognitive distortion. You're looking at through this lens and you're making this distinction so if you're looking through the lens a lot of times you get this lens and the brain is doing this, Um, it will either magnify it and make the ball seem bigger and coming faster and make it bigger than it is, make the problem bigger than it is, make the partner bigger than they are, worse than they are, catastrophizing it, making it, shutting them down, right? Making the problem worse, right? Okay, that's what the brain will do. Selective attention. Okay, selective attention, I'm looking at it, making it worse than it is, bigger than it is, maximizing it, you're the problem. Or flip that binocular lens around. If you're sometimes a guy, you will be looking through that lens and that ball looks like it's a long ways away and you're slow to swing at it and it is you make it smaller than it is, minimize it, you know, devalue it, reject it, you know, not even swing at the ball because it's ooh, it's taking a while to get there. So part of this work that we do is taking off these binocular lenses so you can see it accurately for what it is. Not bigger or smaller. Maximizing or minimizing, catastrophizing it or, or making it smaller, superior, inferior, all these distortions that the brain makes to keep ourselves safe. Which it doesn't actually do. It actually makes it worse. So now the brain's here. we got to look at this. So, so, anyway, if we look at it, think about if you relate more with like the left brain, the logic side, more than... The left, then, then, then the, say the right side. Which do you think is your main brain hemisphere? Once you really think about, and how many of you feel that you're more right-brained? So whatever it is that you are feeling here is yours. Okay. If you're more, again, logical, your curriculum is to learn to add the emotional side, the love side, because it's emotional and intelligent it's love and logic it's not either or right or wrong it's both and and we have to find and do nothing to erode that so we can find that third pole and heal together in not only our brain but in our relationships and our connections or attachments the love the sex everything so, if this has been helpful, give me a call, 310 560 0726. Again, it's Joe Whitcomb, 310 560 0726. And you can also reach me on, uh, uh, on Psychology Today under uh, Joe Whitcomb. I'm in Oceanside and Carlsbad, San Diego, California. Um, I also do relationship coaching or relationship intensives. All of it's available online. We can do videos, chats, all sorts of stuff. i have got some other intensives, workshops coming up this year as well. And we look forward to talking with you guys. And again, this is a no frill, no advertising type of thing. And I hope this has been helpful for everyone. Make 2020 your best year ever.